Good morning. Merry Christmas. I hope everything's going great for you and your families and that you got to celebrate together and enjoy. And I hope it's not over yet. <clears throat> we like to talk about how Advent is the four weeks that lead the four Sundays before Christmas. And that's Advent. And then Christmas happens. And that begins Christmas time. And so Christmas time is actually from now for the next couple weeks, maybe two weeks. And um, so I hope you get to celebrate it as fun like that. We are in the book of Ruth today. And we've gone through, I was looking over my calendar and my notes and everything. And um, I've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. And so I looked to see what the next Old Testament book would be, and it's Ruth. And it's one of these times where God really has a sense of humor because the stuff that happens in the book of Ruth is perfect for this sort of New Year's period that we're in. And it's also perfect for um, this end of 2020 that everybody says was so horrible. <clears throat> And it just fits if it's perfect. So it's just perfect timing that we're talking about Ruth today. We're going to do half of Ruth today and half of Ruth next week. And I think that'll be all for Ruth. We'll see. So Ruth begins in the days of the judges. The days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now remember, in the days of judges, what comes up over and over in the book of Judges is that there's no king in Israel, and everyone did what they saw fit. And um, it wasn't anarchy. There were, there were rulers sometimes that would be just and good, and God would give judges to rule over Israel. And then other times, it would be bad. <sighs> and then other times, it would be, would be bad. <clears throat> Excuse me. I might cut that sneeze out. I might not have time to. We'll see. And so there's a famine and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So he's from Bethlehem. How about that? We've been singing our Christmas songs and celebrating the birth of Jesus in the little town of Bethlehem. And here the book of Ruth starts with a guy from Bethlehem. This is Hundreds of years before Jesus, though. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. So Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah is letting us just be really specific. It's like, it's like they were Westsiders from the Becker family in Evansville, Indiana, USA. They're just, let's get really specific with who these people were. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, Moab, if you look at it on a map, um, the Dead Sea is here, and you're going to go from Bethlehem all the way up around the Dead Sea and down here into Moab. So it's, it's a trip. It's far away. 
They went there and they stayed there. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. We don't know how long they were there before he died. They took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. The name of the book is Ruth, right? They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So the way it would work, um, some cultures still do this today, is you get married, and the um, if you have sons, they stay in your household, and you bring the daughter-in-law into your household, and you just build on the house bigger, and you just keep adding and adding. And if you have any daughters, they all leave, and they go add on to, to their husband's house. So these daughters-in-law are going to live here with Naomi um, for 10 years, right? They... They took Moabite wives, they lived there about 10 years, and they died. So they had 10 years of life together with Naomi, Orpah, Ruth, Malon, and Chilion, all in their house. And in Moab, um, it was a Gentile land. They were they were not they did not serve Yahweh, they served um I said all those names of all those people, and now I forgot. Chemosh, they served, they served Chemosh or Molech, which was their god, and they, um, the people there did. But that doesn't mean that Ruth, even though she came from there, she would have been raised in the religion of Molech. Orpah would have been raised in the religion of Molech. But upon being married... We can see from some other stuff that Naomi and Elimelech stayed faithful to the God of Israel. They stayed, they stayed, they continued in their worship of Yahweh, and they continued to serve him, even though they lived in Moab. And under some weird, just little bits and pieces in Leviticus and Numbers, of all the Gentiles... The Jewish people were allowed to marry some people from Moab because they were descendants of Edomites, which were the descendants of Esau. So they were still descended from Abraham. And so they weren't complete off the list Gentiles. Um, they were just not in the line of Israel Gentiles. Does that make sense? So this wasn't, this wasn't an illegal marriage. It would not have been preferred, obviously, but it wasn't it wasn't evil. They weren't doing evil in any of this. So ten years go by, these guys die, there's no kids, and it's just Naomi and, and these other two her daughters in law. Then she got up with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab because she heard that in the fields of Moab, so she's working in the fields of, of Moab, she's harvesting and working there and getting food, that the Lord visited his people and given them food. So back in Israel, there's food again. The famine's over after 10 plus years. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, 
Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. <clears throat> May the Lord grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So she's basically saying, look, I'm going back to Israel. Y'all have never been to Israel. You don't know anything about it. Just stay here. Go back home to your parents' homes. And maybe you can get married again to somebody else. And you can have kids and you can move on. Go do that. She kissed them, they lifted up their voices, and they wept, they're sad. I mean, they've been together for over a decade, right? And they said to her, no, we are going to go with you. But Naomi said, no, go back. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? All right, what in the world does that mean? This is where we get a hint. This is a little hint of what's what needs to happen here. Um, under... Jewish law, they had a thing called le le leveret marriage. And this comes up even in Jesus's day, where if a guy is married and he dies, his brother is has to marry his, his sister-in-law, who's widowed, and have kids by her. And the first child that she has actually carries on the name of the older of the other brother that died and is treated like that dead brother's son not the son of the second husband that makes sense and so the whole point of that there's a couple of reasons um, they wanted to continue the family line and that was a way that they considered that as continuing the family line so if a, if a guy married a lady and they didn't have any kids and he died and his brother comes along and marries her and has kids, then that family line continues on. It's also a sort of um, caring for the poor and a charity because in your old age, the only people that are obligated, obligated to care for you are your children. And... An alarm going off, all right? <laughs> your children are kind of your your life insurance policy. Or, uh, your, your children are your 401k because they're going to take care of you when you can no longer work. And so that widow needs somebody that's going to be in the next generation to take care of her that's going to be attached to her. And, and so what, what Naomi is saying is, look, the the next people for you to marry to continue the line would be my kids. And I'm an old lady, and I'm not going to have any more kids. It, we're done here. She is recognizing that her family line, that was an effort, the um, Elimelech, the line of Elimelech, the Ephraimite from Bethlehem, in Judea is now halted. It's the end. It's the end of that family line. And that's really sad. That's, I mean, any property that they had in their family is now going to go off to some other cousin. Um, anything, any uh, heritage that they had as a family is now just, so there's a whole lot built into this ancestral line and what, we, I mean, 
Look at the Gospels, right? You've got two accounts of genealogies for Jesus. You've got all kinds of re recordings of genealogies in the Old Testament. So lineage and family line and ancestry were super important to them. And Naomi is just saying, look, that it's over. We're done. It's This family line has stopped. And she's grieving that. So she says, I'm not going to give you any more husbands. It's, it's not going to go on. Turn back, my daughters. This is verse 12. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say that I still have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were grown up? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? So she's kind of talking ridiculous and kind of extremist. Like, even if I got married tonight and had kids, you ladies aren't going to wait around to marry those sons to continue on my name. So she's not really grieving the daughters-in-law's fate because she thinks they can just go home and get married again. She's grieving her own fate and where she is with that. And that's why she kind of talks this nonsense. If you, even if I had kids tonight, you wouldn't wait around to, uh, to marry them. No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So now she upgrades it, right? She has this miserable thing happen to her that uh, her husband died and both of her sons died after they had 10 years of this family life. And now she's, she's saying, it's the hand of the Lord has been against me. She doesn't say, she doesn't confess a sin, right? She doesn't say, I did this evil thing. You know, I worshiped Molech and so God has turned against me. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't have any sin to confess. She is just saying, you know, God did these bad things to me. Well, here's the thing about Molech and Chemosh. Is that Molech and Chemosh, um, their name, sometimes they're the same deity. Uh, sometimes they're separate. But in both cases, in their, their religions, they are considered the destroyer. They are, they are considered a, a wrathful, destructive um, harm bringer, destruction bringer. And so in their religions, in the days of Ruth, what Ruth grew up in, okay, uh, is people would worship Molech and Chemosh by destroying stuff and saying, you know, I know you're going to destroy my child, Molech, so I'm going to sacrifice my child to you. I know you're going to destroy my uh, my crops, so I'm going to light my crops on fire. And uh, it just shows how the devil rips people off. The devil is in the super duper ripoff business of just cheating people out of life and cheating people out of the truth. And so the destructor would destroy things. And so if you wanted to keep the destroyer happy, you would destroy stuff. And, um, and yeah, that's not Yahweh. That's not Yahweh's character. Remember when Moses was coming out? They're coming out of Egypt. 
and the Ten Commandments are, are God gives the Ten Commandments and the people break them before they even get the report of what they are. And Moses goes back up on Mount Sinai and God comes down to give everyone a second chance. And this is in Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, stood with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So God shows up to Moses and says the name of the Lord. And then it says, and here's what God said when he said his name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So Yahweh, by definition of his name, is compassionate, merciful, forgiving, and he is saying that, presenting the second copy of the Ten Commandments, because everybody broke the first copy, showing his compassion, showing his mercy. So there's a lot of times that people tend to blame God for something, and then uh, something bad, but then credit a good thing to this sort of... Uh, ambiguous being or fate or luck, right? Uh, I, I always used to use the example, somebody would find 20 bucks and they'd be like, I got lucky. Uh, I must be living right. I must be, I must have, you know, had the right attitude today. I got my 20 bucks. And then you lose the 20 bucks and people say, well, God must not have wanted me to have that. Or God must have known that I wouldn't have spent that $20 wisely. And they give God the credit for the bad thing. That does not fit in the definition of what God says his name is. Compassionate, merciful, forgiving, loving. So whenever something bad happens, let's not give God the credit for it. Let's give God the glory for it. And we're going to see here in a minute where God's glory shows up. Because Romans 8.28 says, God used all things to work for the good of those that love him and are called to his purpose. And if you pay any attention to God, you're in that category of called to his purpose. Um, you might not even pay any attention to God and you're still a part of his purpose. But God works everything for his good, for his glory. But poor Naomi she is in her state of grief and in her state of um, maybe living under the influence of Chemosh and Molech worshipers. She's starting to see God as bad and bitter and, and uh, somebody that's not helpful, right? It's exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. You see, and she talks about how hope, even if I had hope, she doesn't have any hope at all for anything in her life. Um, she's pretty much going back to 
Judea to die. That's her alone, right? That's her attitude. They lifted up, they cried. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, hey, come on, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return and go after your sister-in-law. Did you catch that? She's gone back to her people and to her gods. Naomi is so despairing that she thinks it, it would be better for these two daughters-in-law to go serve Molech than to come back with Yahweh. Because after all, Yahweh has his, his hand out against her, right? That's how, that's how despairing she has fallen, that, that she thinks it would be better for them to serve Molech. It's really awful. But Ruth said, don't tell me to leave you or to return from following you. For where I go, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. This is, sounds a whole lot, remember this was all written in Hebrew, um, almost Hebrew poetry. And remember when God said, if you do all that I command, I will be your God and you will be my people. It sounds almost just exactly like when she says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. It's, it's almost like a, a chorus of a song and it's just slightly changed, but it's still recognizable. I think somehow, either through Elimelech or Naomi or some Jewish, I mean, it could have been uh, Malon or Kylon, whatever. I think Ruth heard about God. I think Ruth heard about Yahweh and she heard this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. And she heard it and knew it enough to respond back to Naomi, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Because it's just too, it's too close. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more. All right, come on. She's committed. Ruth is, is committed to leave Molech land and Chemosh land and come to Yahweh land. So the two of them went on to Bethlehem. They went, made it all the way back to Bethlehem. They came to Bethlehem. The whole town is stirred. Is this Naomi? Remember, they haven't seen her for at least, we could say 12 years at the, at the least, okay? They haven't seen her. There she is. Oh, and she's all alone. Elimelech isn't with her. Her boys aren't with her. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Wow. So now she is back in the land of Judea. She's with all these people that speak the language of Yahweh and talk about Yahweh, and she is just cranking it up. Yahweh is has cursed me. Um, Yahweh is against me. He's testified against me. He's brought calamity upon me. Now, what's funny is Ruth is standing right there. She can hear all this. So uh, Naomi's like, I'm all alone. I have nothing. And Ruth is like, you got me. She didn't say that. 
Um, but there, there's a little picture here, right? Are we, are we Naomi's sometimes? Are we, um, are we grumpy, bitter Naomi's where we can rewrite our origin story, right? We can rewrite, um, we can identify ourselves by where we came from and we can tell a story, you know, um, my, my, you know, the way I tell the story of how I was brought up uh, is critical to my identity and who, what I think about myself. And if I look at the bad side and the negative parts and blah, 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 and whiny, whiny and crab, crab, bitter, bitter, then I'm going to bring that into my identity of that bitterness and that hurt. But if I think of where I came from and, and my upbringing and where I was born and all that stuff, and I see the faithfulness of God in it, and I see the mercy in it, and I see the, the benefit in it, and I see the praise in it, then all of a sudden that changes my origin story and how I think of myself and how I go about things, right? Um, we had this, I mean, it's, it's just, it's the exact same thing. It's just choosing to see God in it or not. I, we got a, a, one of the kids got a remote control car. And for a while, um, you know, it was donated from one of these, you know, give toys for kids kind of thing. And, and we got it. And I was so mad. I was frustrated because the thing takes like 19,000 batteries and they didn't include the batteries and it includes a bunch of batteries that you can't even buy in a store. And I don't even know. I mean, the, the batteries are going to cost me like 30 bucks. I'm like, what? Who, what, who does this? Who, what kind of mean person donates a toy that looks really cool, but you can't play with it until you mail order this $30 battery that you can't use in anything else. But then I didn't want to be grumpy. I don't want to be grumpus on Christmas, right? I'm like, dude, you got a cool toy truck. It's not remote control. We're not doing the remote control. We're not doing electric. But it's a cool truck all by itself. And you can vroom, 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 and you can play with it and do all that thing. It's the exact same thing. It's how I'm spinning the story, right? How I'm telling the story. We do that with ourselves. If we bring up all the negative in our lives and all the blah and all the this was terrible and that was terrible. And we bring that into our identity. Naomi, she said, my name isn't Naomi anymore. My name is Mara. Bitterness. My name's bitterness, is what she's saying. Call me bitter, because the Lord's against me, and the Lord hates me. You got to think all the people around her, well, um, what's their reaction going to be, right? So they go, and uh, they somehow find a place to live, and they come to Bethlehem in the middle of the barley harvest, and they start harvesting. Chapter two. Now, Naomi had a relative, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. He's like a cousin to Elimelech. His name is Boaz. And Ruth says to Naomi, let me go glean some barley from him and maybe they'll do us a favor and help us out. Naomi says, go for it. I'm going to sit here and be miserable. And to make a long story short, she goes, she starts harvesting. Boaz sees her. She's, you know, 
they would leave, they would not harvest efficiently, and that's how all the poor people would feed themselves. They would come out and uh, they would get enough food for themselves to take. And um, they noticed this new girl, and she doesn't look like a Jewish person. She looks like a Moabite. And so she would, she would be, um, she'd be racially different. She would look different. She would stick out. And so they're asking her, like, what's the deal? Who are you? If you watch the movies with Elizabeth Taylor and all that, it's like, who is this lady? And it's like, she's all beautiful. Um, we don't get that from this. It doesn't mention Boaz looking at her at how beautiful she is. Um, it's a, there's a new lady here. What's the deal? And so they ask around and they kind of, you know, who is this? And, and they find out um, where she came from, what she's doing. And remember, Bethlehem's small. It was built up by an earlier king as a fortified city because it had so much land around it for, for crops. But it's a little, 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 tiny, tiny city. And everybody, the whole town was put into hoopla when Naomi came back. Everybody knew she came back. And so Boaz knows she's back. And he's like, oh, I heard about your daughter-in-law that's taken care of you and left Chemosh and Molech to serve our God and to be here and is helping you. That's incredible dedication. That is incredible commitment to do that. And so he honors that. And he's like, only harvest here. Don't go to anybody else's field. There's a bunch of dirt bags all over the place. They don't treat people right. Don't go there. You only harvest here. Then he tells all of his hired hands, make sure she always gets enough. They take a lunch break. And they're all eating. And he's like, hey, Ruth, come here. Try some of this. And they give her some of the food that they've cooked. And she takes leftovers. She eats enough to get full. She packs some leftovers in her bag. So then she goes home. At the end of the day, she gleaned until evening. She, you know, beats out the barley seed and the chaff and all that. They do all that. But she comes home and Naomi's like, what in the world? What did you do? You got so much food. Uh, let's see. Where did you glean today? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she is like, man, may God bless whoever gave you all this. Okay. That... Everything looks the same in your Bible, right? That should be underlined and big and huge. Because that is the first time that we have a record of Naomi wishing for God to bless somebody. It's the first time that Naomi has turned away from the influence of Molech and Chemosh and come back to say, God blesses people. I think there I think there's a lot there for us that there's a lot of bitter people. There's a lot of really hurt, poor, angry um, Mara people that say, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara that have had loss in their lives, that have had terrible things. And they haven't known that God is the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful for a thousand generations, forgiving sin and showing mercy. 
And when they're given something, like Naomi was given through Ruth, this food to eat, this generosity on behalf of Boaz, this kindness, her hard heart that was serving a foreign God opened up a little bit and realized that God blesses. You know, if I serve um, God of mammon, who's the God of wealth and money and, and riches, and I look at my life and I'm like, I'm not making that much money. I must not be a good person. Well, of course not in the eyes of this false God of greed and money, right? Um, if I if I worship the, the God of war, Mars or Nike or, you know, whatever, whatever name he takes, um, and I'm just not a very tough guy, and I'm like, I'm just kind of a weak dude. I'm not very good. I can't fight anybody. I can't fight anybody off. Well, of course not. If you're serving that foreign God. Yahweh, compassionate, merciful, kind, caring. Think about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are the attributes of the God who we serve. Not retribution, not wrath. All that went on to Jesus. Jesus took it for us. Here we are. And people change when they are shown kindness. They really do, just like Naomi did. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Oh, get ready, Naomi. He's going to get blessed. She told her mother-in-law with whom she worked. So up to this point, Naomi doesn't know that Boaz was the landowner that gave her all this stuff. It was Boaz. And Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Oh! May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Because now she's realizing that Boaz is actually caring for the family line of Elimelech. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. So you know how she said I couldn't even have sons tonight? And you couldn't wait for them? Well, if a son can't stand in, you can get a cousin. You can get a distant cousin. You can get a redeemer. And Boaz is one of them. Stay close till the end of the harvest, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law. It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Other fields can be dangerous. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So she stayed and continued going out six days a week and harvesting and for all we know, probably having lunch with Boaz and, and all the workers every day too. So here's these people, they had this horrible story. My name's bitterness, I've lost everything and all kinds of good things are happening to them and it's the Lord's hand doing them. So this, as we wrap up 2020, a lot of people are going to, oh, 2020 was terrible, blah, blah, blah. God did a lot in 2020. God really showed off in 2020. And he's going to show off even more as we go. God bless you.